If you're here visiting with us for the first time, my name is uh, Ben James. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're going to continue this morning in our study of the book of Exodus. Uh, we're taking uh, about 30 weeks out of this year, and we're going through the Old Testament account of the book of Exodus. Um, I'm, I'm going to get into this pretty quickly. We've got a lot of information to cover. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture. So I encourage you that if you're a note taker, uh, be ready. Uh, we're going to, I need you all to kind of be tracking with me, especially as we read uh, the Scripture this morning. There's going to be a lot of it. But uh, I've titled today's message, Define Nature. Um, and I, I just have a question, just a really quick question. How many of you enjoy being comfortable? Like being comfortable, right? Like whatever form that takes, we like comfort. Uh, I think something that all of us could probably relate to is my side of the bed, right? Like it's got that body shape just to me, you know, and, and if for some reason Kim were to lay on my side of the bed, I don't know what would happen. I don't know how I would handle that. I may try to, but it would be all off. Like, right, if I get onto the wrong side of the bed, I'm just like, I might as well be laying on a rock right now. And speaking of sleeping arrangements, let's talk about comfort and take this to a more personal level. Let's talk about my wife's pillow. Does anybody have that pillow? Like, that is your pillow. Like, that thing goes everywhere with you. My wife in a car. Like if we're taking more than a 30-minute car ride, the pillow has to come. And I don't get it because it's like a tortilla that she puts a pillowcase on. It's like there's nothing there. But yet, you've got to have that pillow. And if we go somewhere, and sad day if she forgets the pillow and we're staying somewhere with other pillows, trip is ruined. Trip is ruined. But in her defense, I've got to say that I am kind of the person that most people really don't like because as I'm lying down, I can go to sleep. Like, I don't even have to have my head hit the pillow before I start snoring. So I, I really don't get that struggle. But, it's a, but we talk about comfort. We like comfort. We like this feeling of this is me. This is where I am. This is where I belong. This is good. This is right here. Well, we're going to read a passage today out of Exodus. We're going, to be, we're going to be reading the entirety of chapter 19, and then we're going to take a short passage out of 20 also. I want to say a couple things up front before we read this, just to kind of set the stage a little bit here, is they are now moving to Sinai. It's three months since the Passover. This has been three months since the exodus from Egypt, and now they are arriving at Mount Sinai. Now, I don't know if they knew it, if they were aware of it or not, but they're going to be here for a while. Like for the rest of Exodus, for the entirety of Leviticus, and for the first ten chapters of Numbers, they are here at this base camp the mountain of Sinai. Now, what we're going to read today has Moses making multiple trips up and down the mountain. And it's not all the trips that Moses makes up and down the mountain. He makes a bunch. But a couple things that we're going to see here. I want to bring out a couple 
uh, little side notes that are going to maybe help to enrich this message as we go along. There's going to be a verse that we read that some of your translations, it's going to be God speaking to Moses, and he'll say that if you will obey my voice, or if you will obey me, some of your translations will say, if you will listen to my voice, or if you will listen to me. In the Hebrew language, there was no word for obey. The Hebrew word for listen also is translated obey, and it's shema. And God would have said this twice to Moses, if you will shema, shema me. Or if you will listen, listen. And I think that any of us in here who are parents understand the power of saying the same word twice, especially the word listen, right? Listen, listen. I don't know if that's how God said it, but you know, stop, stop it. Quit, quit. Right? I mean, <laughs> we, but this is Shema, Shema. Listen, listen to me. And then there's also, we're going to see a scene to where it talks about thundering, or they heard and felt thunder, and it rumbled the ground. In the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, unless it is talking about a physical storm, which it does a couple times in the Old Testament, but if it is not talking about a physical storm and it uses the word thunder or thundering, it is actually referring to the voice of God. So in this passage, whenever it says that it was thundering or thunder came upon the mountain or anything, it is actually the voice of God. So keep that in mind as we read. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you haven't already. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19. And I'm going to read straight through this this morning. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. 
On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, let the Lord, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now let's go to chapter 20. And we're going to advance to verse 18 in chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Okay, a lot of material there, I understand. And some of you may be wondering what happened to verses 1 through 17 in chapter 20 because it's kind of a big deal, right? If you saw the little heading on it there, it's the Ten Commandments. So it's kind of a big deal. Don't worry, we're going to get to the commandments whenever we come back to Exodus in August. But the way that this was written as poetry, the way that Moses constructed this when he was writing it, is that sometimes he would flash forward, sometimes he would flash back. And what we have in this passage is the chapter that chapter 19 tells the story. Then Moses flashes forward to the Ten Commandments. Then in the start of verse 18, he flashes back to finish the story. So chronologically, verses 18 through 21 that we read out of 20 actually tag on to the end of chapter 19. Now, why Moses wrote it like this, I don't know. I don't know if it was more of a learning, linguistic type thing, if it would help the people to remember this. I, I'm not for certain. But chronologically, that's the way it lines up, and that's why we are not getting into the Ten Commandments just yet. But as we look at this story, and please just continue to track with me, is we see this type of arc through it. We see the way that this breaks down in the call of God, Verses 1 through 6. This is what it teaches us in 1 through 6. Is this is the calling that God is calling the nation of Israel to encounter him. He is drawing the nation of Israel to him. Then we see the verbal response in verses 7 and 8. And this is when Moses, because Moses, or God gives them the call whenever Moses is up on the mountain. 
Then Moses goes back down the mountain and he tells them, hey, here's what God's wanting to do. And the people are like, yes, that's great. And it, it, I'm sure it didn't play out like this, but in my mind, it became like that upper grade school, middle school kind of like thing of, hey, will you go ask her if she likes me? Kind of thing, you know, that you have your buddy do. Because Moses was going, go, or God was going, Moses, go tell him this. Moses was like, all right, down the mountain. All right, here's what God wants us to do. We're good. We'll do everything. He says, awesome, great. <sighs> okay, God. They said yes. And okay, well, good. Go tell him to do this. All right. And then he goes back down. And then we see the terms. Verses 9 through 15 Moses articulates to them the terms of this. Consecrate yourself. Prepare yourself. Get yourselves ready for this. So the people of Israel are still all in. They're like, okay, we can do this. We got this. Then we see the scene begin to unfold in verses 16 through 25. And here's really where I think it strikes us at the heart today. The scene was far more uncomfortable than what the Israelites had imagined. When they said yes to God, I don't think that any of them had this scene in mind. And let's get one thing clear. God didn't say, bring all of them up to the mountaintop, bring them up the mountain to where I am. No, he said, bring them to the foot of the mountain. I'll encounter them there. Set up a boundary. Don't let them cross. But then whenever they get there, they've consecrated themselves. Then all of a sudden, the lightning begins. The smoke settles on the mountain. The thunder, his voice, he begins to speak. He begins to communicate. The earth begins to rumble. The ground shakes. And they're like, no, 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 fam, wait a minute. Moses, you didn't tell me anything about this. All right, I didn't know that saying yes to God was going to mean I had to do this. Because this is scary. This is out of my control. This is beyond what I'm comfortable with. I don't like this. And then in chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, we see the, nations of I the nation of Israel's physical response to this situation. And what do they do? They say, all right, all right, we've got some distance now. The mountain's over there. Still got the whole smoke and lightning and fire and thunder and rumbling and all that good stuff. We're at a safe distance now. So I tell you what. Tell you what, Moses. You go spend time with God. Find out what he wants us to do. And then you come back and you tell us what he wants us to do. And we'll do it. Surely there's not churches meeting right now at this time where the congregation has that mindset of preacher, you go find out what God wants. Pastor, you spend time in the presence of God. You come to us on Sunday mornings. You tell us what he wants us to do, and we'll do it this week, or we'll try our best, and then we'll come back next Sunday morning and, and we'll find out some more. Could it be that we're not necessarily comfortable with what God asks us to do when we say yes. When God says, here's my plan, and we're like, yes, he's got a plan for my life. We quote Jeremiah 29, 11, completely out of context, but we quote it nonetheless as a promise. God has a plan for my life. Praise God, he's got a, wait a minute, that's the plan? No, 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 I don't like that. That requires me to do something. 
I'm not comfortable with that. You want me to tell somebody what? You want me to love this person? Do you know what they're saying? Do you know what they're, you want me to, no, 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 God, I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. So I'll tell you what, you just keep, you just keep giving messages. You just keep speaking to Pastor Ben, and then I'll go on Sundays, three out of four maybe, two most of the time. I'm sorry, I'm getting into meddling right now. I'm sorry, let me get back to preaching. Then I'll come. And I'll listen to what he has to say. What you've told him, then I'll do it. Church, I don't know if you've noticed or not, and this is true for any time, but now more than ever, I believe that God is calling us to get out of what we're comfortable with doing and just start saying yes to him regardless of what it looks like. That was a lot better than what you amened right there. I'll just throw that out there. This world needs the church to be the bride of Christ and to say yes to God now more than it's ever needed it, in my humble opinion. This world needs Jesus. And Jesus has called us to be the light. He's called us to be the salt. He has called us to be his physical representation here on earth. No matter whether we're comfortable with it or not, it's time that we need to say yes. Yes. Now, I want us to, there's three steps in here in this, in this passage, and I believe we find them in uh, Exodus 19, 4, 5, and 6. And I think we see the past, I think we see the present, I think we see the future. Let me go back and read that for us, because this, even though it's Old Testament, is going to be the calling for you and I. This is the kind of the, the three steps right here. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. That's the past. He's reminding them of what I have done for you. I brought you out, freed you, redeemed you out of your bondage. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, if you will listen to my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So what does God want us to do in the present? Listen to his voice. Obey his commandment. Do what he is asking us to do. And then verse 6 shows us the future. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I mean, it's, it's right there. We see the past of de deliverance in verse 4. We see walking in obedience in the presence now. And then we see that leading to his will being done in our lives. How many of you have prayed the prayer, God, I just want your will to be done in my life? Anybody? Is that your heart? I hope so. I mean, that's what we should be, right? His will comes after we're delivered. After our repentance, after us allowing him to set us free, us coming under that, that beckoning, that calling, that drawing for us to set him free. And then we have to walk in a lifestyle of obedience. I know it's 2022. That's not a popular concept. I get it. I get it. 
But God hasn't compromised what he wants. God hasn't compromised his word. It's deliverance, obedience, walking in his will. At least give me a head nod that that makes sense. Okay? And that hasn't changed. All right, so let's look at one big important takeaway. One takeaway that we need to make sure that we have from this passage. God desired the entire nation of Israel to be drawn to him, not just Moses and the priests. You know, we answered the question a few weeks ago, why Israel? You know, why did God choose the Israelites and kind of destroy the Egyptians? Was it because the Israelites were better people? No. We've learned, we've seen, and we're going to continue to see, they're terrible. They're terrible people. They're stubborn, they're hard-headed, they doubt, they fear, they lie, all of these things. Kind of sound like us, right? But anyhow, it's not because they were better. It's because he wanted to use them. He wanted to bless this nation so that other nations surrounding them could see what it looked like to be blessed by God. And now he's saying that I want to draw the entire nation of Israel to me. You see, we look at Moses... And we think, that's the man that God chose. Yes, he did. But he chose Moses to lead Israel into a relationship with him, to draw this nation to them. And then he wanted to draw the nation of Israel into him so that they could help to draw other nations to the goodness of God. So what's this mean for us today? What's some, what's some of the takeaways for us personally here today? I think that we can practically look at these three elements that we need to trust God, even in the uncomfortable times. I think we also don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies, regardless of where they're coming from, and don't take the bait, even if it's shiny. Anybody have that scene from Nemo in your head right now with Dory? Oh, look, something shiny. I think a lot. I live my spiritual life like that far more than what I should. So let's camp out here for just a few minutes and let's talk about these. Trust God, even in the uncomfortable times. God ever ask you to do anything uncomfortable? The answer is yes. <laughs> God drawing you to him was uncomfortable for you because that meant that you had to recognize that there was sin in your life. That meant that you had to recognize that you needed God. Folks, let me, let me tell you, let me, let me just reassure you of this. God is faithful. No matter what storm you're facing, no matter what situation you're in, no matter how uncomfortable life is for you right now, God has yet to fail you. And guess what? He won't start now. God will not fail you now. It's a Romans 8.28 concept, right? He works things together for our good and his glory. So if it ain't good, it ain't over. The situation in your life ain't good, it ain't over. So trust God, even in the uncomfortable times. Next, don't believe the lies, regardless of where they come from. Don't believe the lies. Here's some lies that I think that we face frequently as believers. 
Number one, I've got to earn the grace that God gives me. I've got to qualify myself. Somehow I've got to do something. I've got to live this way. I've got to talk this way. I've got to walk this way. I have to get this area of my life cleaned up. Then, then the grace of God will find me. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn his grace. There's nothing that you and I can do to qualify ourselves for his grace. His grace is a gift. It is a free gift to us that cost him everything. Another lie that we tend to believe is that my sin's really not that big of a deal. The enemy will try to convince you of that. My sin's really not that big of a deal. I tell you that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God hasn't changed his mind on sin. Amen? God has not changed his mind on sin. God still despises sin. That broke the fellowship between us and God. Your sin is a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal that God himself came and died for that big deal. Because nothing else could take care of that sin. So no matter how minute that someone else or you yourself have relegated your little sins to, your sin is still a big deal and still needs to be blood-bought. I think maybe the last one that I'll touch on here is some of the lies that we believe. Is that I'm defined by my past. I'm defined by my past. Preacher, you don't know all the things that I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the attitudes that I've had. You don't know just the horrible things that have been in my life. You don't know the situation I've come from. You don't know how I've treated people. You don't know all of these things about my life. Yeah, okay, maybe I don't. But guess what? I know that none of them are more powerful than the blood of Jesus. None. If we convince ourselves, if we believe this lie that we are defined by our past and something in our past disqualifies us from receiving the grace of God, then what we've done is we have made our past more powerful than Jesus' sacrifice. Can I shake that branch again this morning? That if you're convinced that your identity as a believer in Christ comes from your past, then what you're saying is that sin in my past is more powerful than the blood that Jesus shed. That is, again, a lie straight from the pit of hell this morning. And let's take it a step further. You and your situation today, your today doesn't define who you are. Because maybe we've been on this journey in Christ. We've been trying to live for him. None of you, myself included, are anywhere close to the image of Christ. 
We've still got sin. We've still got faults. We've still got failures and shortcomings in our lives that continually serve to separate us from God. But the blood, but the blood this morning is what restores that. So let me, let me, let me say this to you. Nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nor anything in your future is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Jesus died for our past. Jesus died for our present. And Jesus died for our future. So what do I do if I don't believe the lies? What do I do about this letting something else define me? Your past doesn't define you. Your present doesn't define you. Jesus Christ, God who created you, God who spoke life into existence with a breath is the one who provides the definition in your life. It is he and he alone that defines who you are. And it's our journey as Christians to move from what we were into what he has designed us to be. Now, like I said, none of us are here but I love the saying that I've heard for decades. I know I ain't what I should be, but praise God, I ain't what I used to be. I'm not what I should be. But by the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy, I'm not what I used to be. It's him that defines us. And let's look at this line. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Chaos. Chaos. Believe that's one of the best words that we could use to describe the time in which we live. Anybody else feel like these past few years have been nothing but chaotic? Can I, can I present something to you that being in a relationship with Jesus Christ is about experiencing peace, Right? peace but nowhere in the bible is god's peace defined as lack of chaos if you're waiting for all the storms to settle and everything to still (laughs) spoiler alert you're gonna be waiting for a while biblical peace is being able to rest in the midst of a storm. Let me give you an example. There was a boat that was in the middle of a hurricane. They all thought they were going to die. But yet one person was asleep in the midst of the chaos. His name was Jesus. Biblical peace is not the lack of chaos. It's being secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ to where we can find rest in him in the midst of the chaos. And I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you with 100% truth and accuracy that I believe that the chaos is going to lessen and everything's going to return to a peaceful existence. I'm not convinced of that. You can call it glass half empty outlook if you want to. 
I've always been a glass is half full kind of guy, but I really want to know who drank the other half of my glass of water. Know this, that whether the situation in our world gets better, whether it gets worse, or whether it stays where it's at, we have a source of peace that it was the same yesterday, is the same today, and will be the same forever. And that rock is unmovable. Amen? Now, I want to talk to you about the greater Moses. I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up. Uh, the greater Moses, we talked about how Jesus is the greater Moses. In this passage that we read today, Moses is serving as a mediator between God and Israel. And God is using Moses as a mediator to draw the nation of Israel to God. If you have, just one more time, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. And I want us to go to verse 12. And I, this is Jesus talking here. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, he's referring to being lifted up on the cross. He's talking about his death here. So, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. God used Moses to try to draw a nation to him. God has used men and women throughout the ages to attempt to draw people to him. And all of them failed. But this is where we see the glory of Jesus Christ. That what Moses couldn't do, what Elijah couldn't do, what any of the prophets couldn't do, what John the Baptist couldn't do, what none of the apostles could do, onto the scene came the Son of God and said, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So this morning, as you sit here, he lifted up in an agonizing death so that you could be drawn to him again it's nothing that you've done that you deserve you've not earned it you've not qualified yourself for it it is the sacrifice of christ him crucified and him resurrected that draws you to him